Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder. Today I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm wonderful today, Ethan. How are you? I am doing good as well. I'm also joined by Cole Bradley. Cole, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm I'm doing well, as I just uh, stated after Chris asked me. But Noah Furtado, I'm also joined by you. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you, Ethan? <laughs> I am doing well. <laughs> I'm doing better than uh, some people were in the press conferences today after ASU lost 50-36 to at home against UCLA. ASU is now 3-6 and six on the season and 2-4 and four in the Pac-12. ASU gave up the most rushing yards since 2016 at Arizona and the most at home since 2012 against Oregon. It was a tough day for ASU's defense and for ASU in general with the loss. Cole, what were your takeaways? I mean, ASU gave up. 100 plus yards to two different ball carriers from UCLA and 98 yards to another one, Keegan Jones, and five total touchdowns uh, to go along with that 402 yards. So that kind of encapsulates how bad it was. We'll probably get into it a little bit more here, but the explosive plays were a huge problem. The 18 total that there were, um, there was 13 on the ground. There was a 75-yard rushing touchdown from Casimir Allen, and the biggest thing is they did all of this without Zach Charbonnet, who is clearly their best rusher and Pac-12 leading rusher, and so that was what made it that much more impressive, I'd say, but at the same time, ASU's defense could not keep plays in front of them. They were often turning their hips. Donnie Henderson talked a lot about that today, Um, and after talking about not giving up the big plays, being gapped you know, having gap integrity, being assignment sound, all those things. Um, and ASU did none of that in this game, and it, it ended up costing them big time. Noah, what were your initial takeaways from this one? I had a feeling they were definitely going to struggle against Dorian Thompson-Robinson. Um, after a couple of weeks against pocket-confined quarterbacks, you know, they played Stanford, Colorado, they had a breather uh, in that respect from that kind of quarterback. And then you come back against Thompson-Robinson, he's just so dynamic uh, using his legs whether it's outside of the pocket or scrambling for positive gains. Uh, 120 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Uh, they, they just couldn't contain him. Uh, obviously, there are others that contributed to the final total on the ground, which was really, really large. But uh, he was especially effective in that, in that way. Chris, what about you? What were your initial takeaways? Well, my initial takeaway was that a guy who's a 5'9", 175-pound wide receiver ran for well over 100 yards against ASU. Um, probably never see that again. Like uh, The only thing that maybe I've ever seen at ASU that would be compare, uh, compare was Rudy Burgess. I think it was in 2004 maybe. Um, ASU had a rash of injuries at running back, and they asked the players who wanted to play running – who wanted to play running back? Rudy Burgess said, I'll volunteer. And then he had like a really good performance like the week after that or uh, in a few few performances after that. But um, it, it was flat out embarrassing by ASU's defense. I feel like they spent the whole last week and really recent weeks talking about on defense, just needing to do their job and everybody doing their 111th and all this stuff. And then you, 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 you watch it and it's like they're creating gaps that, two players could run through, three players could run through. Um, the amount that I saw Merlin Robertson and Kyle Soli stick on blocks and TJ Pesafea stick on blocks, I mean, uh, those are veteran players who have been at this level for several years now. And it Chip Kelly is a really good 
schemer and play caller, but that type of a performance should really never happen. And really it, it totally overshadowed, which was a pretty good offensive performance by ASU. The passing attack continues to be good with Trenton Bourget. Um, not perfect by any stretch, but he's showing that he's capable of being a very good starting level quarterback at ASU. That's a, that's, that's a big positive as you kind of pro- project into next year when the Sun Devils are going to have a new coach, probably somebody who's not in Tempe right now. And uh, unless he's interviewing and, um, but gosh, I mean, the, the other thing was it's a one score game midway through the fourth quarter or whatever. And there's nobody left in the stadium because all the fans basically have sort of given up and it was a, it, and it was a good turnout at the outside of the game, much better than the last couple home games. Right. But the way that the game unfolded and how bad ASU looked in the first half, there's just no way that anybody thought, Oh, ASU is going to be still be in this game in mid, midway through the fourth quarter. Right. So um, that is an indication of sort of the level of confidence that people have in what's going on here in Tempe. Yeah, let's let's dive in a little bit to the ASU defense and just talk a little bit more specifically about how they played. 18 explosive plays allowed to UCLA, 13 of those rushing and five of those passing. Cole, what were your thoughts in terms of what allowed ASU or what caused ASU to give up so many explosive plays? Well, again, Donnie Henderson talked a little bit more about it today. It was just not doing, nobody was really doing their job. And Chris mentioned it as well. There was a lot of blown assignments and things like that. But on top of that, I think it was also just making sure that they they couldn't really keep up with, with what was being thrown at them by UCLA as well. It just seemed like they were outpaced in every in every way. Aguano talked about the um, the tempo and how that sort of um, hindered them as well. So I think it was mainly those things on, on top of it. But the 13 on the ground were the big ones. Quite a few of those were for 30 or a couple of them were for 30 plus. There was a couple 20 plus ones too, but at the same time, it, you can't, you just can't be giving up those big plays. Noah, what were your thoughts on on ASU's defense and what really caused them to have so many struggles this game? When we struggled that much on the ground, UCLA really didn't have to do much else uh, in the way of the passing game. Only had a handful of attempts in the second half and just pounded things uh, between the tackles. Even when they did pass, um, outside of that, you know, game-opening interception that Thompson Robinson threw, lots of you know big plays there, um, really caused by uh, missed tackles. That's that's what I saw. Um, you know, a number of them. One one of Casimir Allen's uh, longer receptions was not uh, really thrown downfield. It was more like a crosser uh, underneath, and he just uh, he he got the yards after catch. To, to go down uh, and I think he got them into the red zone actually on that on that play that I'm thinking about um, but really overall it wasn't it wasn't good performance uh, at any level of ASU's defense obviously the front uh, front four front seven was the biggest uh, weakness it seemed but but overall the secondary uh, when they did get their opportunities to defend in coverage didn't do that well either and Chris what about you what about the defense caused them to play so poorly well short answer is everything um what's crazy about that game is that for as bad as asu was at defending the run if it had been able to get off the field just literally two or three more times on third and long situations the outcome might have been different they asu gave up 
conversions of 11 yards, 12 yards, 12 yards, and 14 yards. Uh, and one or two of them were touchdowns. Dorian Thompson Robinson, one of them was a scramble for a touchdown for sure. Uh, he, there were um, a bad containment of, of Thompson Robinson. Two where pass rushers were coming in off the edge. One was a blitz that he basically was able to kind of spin around and outflank and then be able to run. There was uh, rollouts that he then threw the ball. UCLA was 9 of 10, 11 on third downs, and which is insane because ASU was 129 out of 131 in the country. Uh, only uh, Florida and Colorado were worse going into the game. And I don't even look now, but probably ASU's maybe even further back. Um, but one of the third down conversions that wasn't made by UCLA was a drop by a tight end that was right around the line of scrimmage. And then the other one that wasn't made was a third and two in which Biamod Miller, who's like, you know, ASU's fifth or sixth, uh, defensive tackle. He's coming off the bench, uh, because they had other guys that were, sick um primarily omar norman lot nessa jade silvera which was somewhat of a factor in this game but he he was able to shed the guard and make a tackle for loss so they asu literally had one third down play in the entire game that was successful um i don't that's like that's and that's an atrocity you know when you think about it um and okay, they had some they had some guys that were sick and and whatever up front, and maybe maybe that would have helped them to some degree. But the way that they were just getting completely gashed, and that how bad that they were on third downs, I'm not sure it would have actually mattered all that much in the grand scheme of things. And so many of those conversions, even including the long ones, were kind of like easy conversions. It wasn't even like a guy makes a contested, difficult catch, and everybody's like, "Wow, great play by UCLA." It was like the dude is open. They threw him the football, and it was 15 yards. Uh, Thompson Robinson. Oh, here comes the, the pass rush. Nope, it's going to run around that and easily get past the first down marker. So, I said during the game, especially the first three quarters, they gave up 42 points in the first three quarters, and th well over 300 yards rushing. I'm like, okay, this is I'm I'm witnessing like the worst run defense that I have seen at Sun Devil Stadium in a really, really long time. Turns out that it was going back to 2012 against Oregon when uh, Oregon absolutely had an all-timer. I may never get top, whatever it, whatever it was, 500 rushing yards or something like that. Um, so uh, Donnie Henderson, we, we say, week after week, I, I go into the press conferences with Donnie. We have some banter. He talks about how, you know, the, they're going to – you know, they're going to get him one day, and I'm going to say that you had a good defensive performance. And, uh, man, it's nobody's rooting against 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 ASU, and but, but you have to just, like, call it what it is. And the reality of the situation is the Sun Devils have a very bad defensive team, and especially when it matters most, which is in the red zone and on third downs. 
Yeah, the defense struggled for all the reasons that you guys talked about. But even with the final score, the offense had another pretty impressive performance with Trenton Borgay leading the charge at quarterback and Xavier Valade at running back. Both of them had big games themselves. There was 26 points in the second half scored by ASU. Ended up, as Chris talked about earlier, cutting the game down to a one-possession score win. As Chris also said, no one was actually in the stands to see it. But they had another impressive performance from Trenton Borgay. What did you see from the offense, Cole, that led to, once again, putting up a good amount of yards and a good amount of points? I mean, they actually outgained UCLA in the second half, 300 to 238. So I think that's pretty impressive and honestly a nice response, I I think, out of the locker room. But it was also, I think, just sort of the play calling got a little bit more sharp. Um, We talked about it all the time, but getting the ball out quicker, those things, saw a lot more of that in the second half, I think. Um, getting Xavier and Valade involved on the ground and through the air. He had 89 receiving yards. I think that was big. But I just think they were moving the ball a lot better in the second half than they were in the first half. And the difference was the second quarter where ASU really had nothing going for it, and that was when UCLA really started to pull away. They were outgained on the ground 99 to negative 6, I think, if I saw that right. Um, so I think that was sort of their undoing. But the second half was, was definitely – they made it a lot more interesting with – with the 26 points. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring up that second quarter because Sean Aguano in his Monday press conference that uh, we heard from him today talked about how that quarter he got a little bit out of the groove, and he said he he blamed himself, really, for them not scoring points uh, as much in that quarter. Noah, what were your thoughts on, on ASU's offense on the day? Yeah, in that second quarter, he also did say that there were some other contributing factors. He said Trenton did miss some throws. Um, there are some big, like certain plays that they really just didn't execute on. But overall, looking at that second half, because that's really what, what was most important, just that surge, um, it was really coming through the air, obviously. Borgay ended up with 49 pass attempts to finish the game, 349 yards, two touchdowns, and the lone pick to end it. But um, when you look at how much he was able to spread the ball around, uh, that was really what allowed that offense, I think, just at least in part, to be more successful in the second half. Xavier Valade had a day, um, not necessarily as, as a running back. He was solid in that department, but as a receiver with 10 catches, 89 yards. And so even beyond him, right, with his elevated involvement, because he really hadn't caught that many passes before Saturday. It was about, I think, 15 through the first seven or so games. Badger continued to produce uh, be a reliable weapon for Borgay, uh, and the tight ends continue to be involved. Conyers caught seven passes, Swinson two, um, and then there was a couple others, Giovanni Sanders, Daniel Ngata, that also caught multiple passes from Borgay. So they were able to really distribute, spread the wealth, and uh, get some success through the air, really, uh, in that second half. Chris, with ASU's offense, first as, as they just said, kind of what were your thoughts on the performance in the day and then what maybe is causing them to, to be more successful on the offensive side of the ball? Well, the game was pretty wide open because when you, when you end up in some, somewhat of a track meet even early on and opponents taking a, a big lead, you're going to start throwing the ball like a ton. Um, UCLA was playing pretty conservatively. They were dropping their linebackers quickly and with a lot of depth. That was the main factor, I think, in Borgay just taking that underneath stuff. And it wasn't just to validate who had uh, 10 catches for a career high and 89 yards, but it was also the tight ends were available kind of underneath. There were some receivers that were available. And, and UCLA gave up a lot of yards 
Um, probably would like to have done a few things differently in the second half, but I think they also knew they were able to be able to keep scoring the, the football, and they weren't really felt threatened by ASU, nor would they probably, you know, in any reason to feel threatened by ASU. Um, I, there's not a lot that's like that you can really take from this that is extremely sort of revealing about. Um, ASU's offense, like we didn't learn new things about Trenton Bourget or about really any of their players. Um, I just thought it was like a game. We talked about it last week, a game that seemed like it was going to end up with a lot of points scored, which is what happened. I thought that it was a game that ASU probably should have been able to be closer on with even, even, even a bad defensive effort. ASU would have been close. It was just so horrific. Um, I thought it was a game where ASU had a good chance to beat the spread, whatever it was, 11 points, something like that. Uh, they had a drop, it, or not drop, an interception in the end zone that Borgay threw at the end that he underthrew the ball and that he would want to have that one back because that would have given them a chance to have a you know a touchdown differential. And But the guys completed 70% of his passes in this game. He was over 70%. In his first start, um, I don't know what he was coming off the bench against Washington percentage-wise, but it was very good. And I think by the the only measurements that you can go by, again, he clearly looks like he's ready to be a good quarterback at this level. And that's maybe something that whoever is considering the ASU job might might factor in. And one probably not really talked about that much is uh, – Coaches, they want to know, okay, if I take this job, am I going to have key players at, at certain positions? And Borgay, as a local guy, I mean, I guess you know, everybody is subject to the possibility of not being on a team the following year. But Borgay is someone that you probably look at if you're a, you know, a system type of a offensive-minded uh, you know, head coach or coordinator who would be a candidate for this job, and you might say, Oh, hey, wait a second. I could go and work with Trenton Borgay and maybe even Elijah Badger and Jalen Conyers for the next couple years. I'd love to do that, you know? So they have something that they could actually work with and draw from there. Um, whether or not they're able to do that remains to be seen. And I'll just hit you with the quick follow up in regards to kind of what to take away. And as you said, and kind of rightfully so. A lot of the stuff was already known about this offense that we saw from the unit. But in your opinion, is there anything to take away from from the 26 points in the second half after going through a second quarter that was such a such a struggle, almost kind of bouncing back? Well, Sean Aguano is a man of his word. He says I'm going to be aggressive, and then they clearly have been a lot more aggressive on offense. They've they've tried to be more aggressive on defense with mixed success. I think it has worked at times. It, it hasn't worked at other times. Um, the fact that they were going for two from down three touchdowns or whatever it was. And, uh, you know, he's talking about analytics, right? He's a guy who's, you know, sort of more of a, putting a newer age spin on some of those things. You never heard like Herm Edwards or, Todd Graham or whatever talk about, Hey, the analytics say that we should be going there. So we're going when, you know, ASU is punting on fourth and one from the opponent 34 yard line or whatever. So, um, you know, that, that, that's something that we're learning. Um, 
about Sean Aguano and uh, where he's sort of adhering to what he said. But the problem, the problem is they have too many things that needed fixing in the middle of a season for an interim head coach to inherit and reasonably be expected that you're going to fix all those things, especially when you have illnesses and injuries and a quarterback that you need to swap out and, and everything else. Yeah. And, and a lot of people will probably look at the season three games left as, all right, let's just get the season over with, move forward to the next one. Maybe the off season changes could happen, but for the last three games, it is as we've been talking about all season, it's really Aguano showing what he's capable of, whether it is in Tempe later on or for another school or anywhere else that he might be able to do something along those lines and for all of these players as well. But there's three games left for Arizona State, Washington State this weekend, Oregon State at home for homecoming at 12.15 p.m. on ESPN2 and then the Territorial Cup away from home in Tucson. So ASU needs to win all three of those games to be bowl eligible. Cole, we'll go to you first. How likely is it that ASU issues bowling in December highly unlikely I'll say that I honestly am leaning closer towards them losing out than winning out at this point just how rough the last couple weeks have been I mean you're going up on the road against a solid Washington State team in cold weather you know that you're not used to that's going to be a factor coming home against a really solid Oregon State team that's been very competitive this year and then on the road in Arizona or in Tucson playing Arizona, that's it's not that favorable either, especially how much better they've been this year compared to last year. So I'm actually leaning more towards them losing out than winning out, I'd say. But we'll see what happens, I guess. Noah, what about you? How likely is it that ASU is bowling? I don't see them winning out, but uh, I think they'll at least take one. Uh, the offense, the fact that it's sort of taking strides, uh, gives me that sort of thinking. Um, that they'll at least have something to lay their hat on. You know, there's still some promise there. Uh, defensively, it's pretty bleak, um, especially when they're going to go into Washington State. That offense has been improving. Oregon State, you know, they have a decent, uh, decent offense going. And then Arizona, you know, that that's going to be a toss-up, I think, because their defense um, up against ASU's offense, if it continues to improve, that that could be a, something to watch as far as what ASU can take advantage of in that matchup. Um, but as far as them being able to sustain success from one game to the next and the next, there's really nothing that I've seen from them this season to tell me um, that I should expect them to do that in these final three games. Yeah, Chris, it's really been a mixed bag on, on both sides of the ball all season, especially with the coaching change and all of the changes that you've talked about in the middle of the season, a quarterback change, all this type of stuff. But in your opinion, is ASU going to be bowling in the summer? No, they're not going to be bowling. And also, I, they think they should have uh, imposed a bowl ban on themselves this year. I think we've been saying that pretty consistently with the NCAA investigation, the strong likelihood that they will face a, a level one infractions. The NCAA penalty matrix calls for a one to two year competitive postseason ban for a uh, regular or you know uh, a, a normal level one infractions case. They would have to get a mitigated level one um, or the negotiated resolution, the bifurcated process that has some unexpected outcome, I think, to not have that happen. This is the year that they should have done that for a number of reasons. Um, I, as far as I know, they haven't. I don't know if they, I don't know for sure, but um, they're not going to win the next three games, or at least, you know, I put their percent chance at maybe like five to 10% about, of that happening. 
Um, they're an underdog at Washington State. I don't really see reason to doubt that or, or think that um, in the cold weather and the way that Washington State has moved the football mostly through the air, but then also running it against Stanford and ASU's issues at stopping the run going in there, um, that ASU should be expected to win that game. Oregon State's uh, a winning football team, and, and they've had a successful uh, uh, stretch with their coaching staff, Jonathan Smith. Arizona's capable of putting a lot of points on the board. Um, ASU is going to be an underdog at Arizona. Probably will be a small underdog at home against Oregon State. And um, we're looking at a season that probably will end with four or five wins, maybe even, and and with three wins, um, which would be the worst in many years. Uh, I think the last four-win season was 1994, if I'm not mistaken, other than uh, the the uh, pandemic shortened season. Um, I, I do though would say that these these coaches and these players they continue to battle. It would be it would have been very easy in that game when you're trailing 35 to 10 or whatever it was to be like okay we're done and just pull the pin and get really ugly and end up with like a 50 to 10 game or something like that. But they're battling and they're uh, still trying to put their best foot forward. And so you can't given what they did against Stanford and. Uh, against Washington, you can't rule out the possibility that they may put put some run together that might surprise us here in the next few weeks. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's not looking great, but there's definitely a possibility that it looks better than maybe expectations are right now versus kind of what we would expect to happen. But that is going to be all that we talk about for ASU versus UCLA. Pretty simply put, it was, as Donnie Henderson said, they did not play well. Um, so it wasn't too much that needs to be said about that other than I need to move forward on to the next week against Washington State. Uh, if you do want to know more about UCLA, 10 takeaways will be on the site and we will have a lot of stuff coming your way this week. This is a big week of Sun Devil Source content. First up, the Washington State first look and then basketball season is here. So we will have a basketball podcast for you after the team's first game against Tarleton and we will be able to give you a preview of the team after seeing them play in their first game so make sure to be on the lookout for that podcast there will also be tons of basketball content as well we'll be covering that first game uh, the opening game and then multiple games to come NAU on Thursday as well so basketball content to come football content to come make sure to stay tuned to Sun Devil Source for all of that as well as our premium podcast to preview Washington State later this week so stay tuned to all of our content on SunDevilSource.com but that was it for this edition of the Sun Devil Source Report Podcast I'm Ethan Ryder for Chris Cartman Noah Furtado and Cole Bradley thanks for listening we'll see you guys next time.